Waking up has never felt this good. I love the music. The music. Best music. Breakfast with friends on CCFM 107.5. We're now joined on the line by the Executive Director of Freedom of Religion South Africa, Michael Swain. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Jonathan. Good morning to Breakfast with Friends. So good to be chatting to you yet again. And uh, we need to get into this conversation because it's very interesting to see that there is a definition of hate speech and that that is expanding. Just unpack that a little bit for us, please. I think it's important to realize at the beginning that that the more you or the wider you define hate speech, the less free speech you have because more and more speech is then defined as hate speech. And obviously if speech is defined as hate speech, by implication it means that there's going to be some sanction for it. So by contrast, in Section 16 of the South African Constitution, it gives a very narrow definition of hate speech. Uh, it says that it's based upon advocacy to hatred, based upon race, ethnicity, gender, or religion that constitutes an incitement to harm. So, in other words, you've got a dual test. It ha- there has to be uh, an advocacy to hatred, um, and there are four categories, race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, and it must also constitute an incitement to cause harm. Those two things must run together, and therefore it's pretty objective. So, classically, let's say, you know, kill the farmer, kill the boar, that would be hate speech because what do you want who do you want to hate farmers what do you want to do to them kill them but once you start to expand it it starts to become fuzzy and therefore subjective so for example this began uh, in South Africa with the Equality Act where in section 10 of the act hate speech is defined and it defines it as speech which and I quote could be reasonably construed to demonstrate a clear intention to be hurtful to be harmful or to incite harm and or to promote or propagate hatred. So when you get there, you start realizing, well, actually, that's much more subjective because in whose view is it and who might be affected by it? I might say something to you which you don't find sort of harmful or, 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 or hurtful, but somebody else might find that to be harmful and hurtful. And who judges? And that's why, unfortunately, and perhaps unsurprisingly, um, we see cases coming out under this act, and typically those uh, cases are often propagated or, or, or brought by the South African Human Rights Commission, and often in response to pressure from activists. So a good example would be perhaps the Beloftebos situation, although it's not necessarily so much about a speech, but a stance that they took, right? Oh yes, because, and, and it's interesting that you should say the stance they took, because what has happened this past week is that the United Nations has released a definition. Um, and, and by the way, hate speech has never been defined legally internationally, so this is quite a first. But, but listen to the width of the definition of the UN's version of hate speech. This is any kind of communication in speech, writing, or behavior, you see, and that would obviously cover the Belastabas mm. uh, situation, because it was how they behaved rather than what they actually said or wrote. Uh, it, it goes on, that attacks or uses pejorative or discriminatory language with reference to a person or a group on the basis of who they are, in other words, based on their religion, ethnicity, nationality, race, color, descent, gender, or other identity factor. Whoa. In other words, there is no objective test in that. It doesn't include any objective test for uh, are you advocating hatred? Uh, it doesn't advocate any objective test on an incitement to violence or even any form of harm. It just simply speaks about discriminatory language. And it certainly does not include any 
um, exemption for legitimate bona fide uh, religious speech, which somebody might find offensive. Yeah. And so, again, concerningly, this is the trend. We're now seeing it getting broader and broader and broader. And the UN are also planning a strategy to roll it out among governments. They're engaging with social media companies on steps they can take to support these principles and to address and counter hate speech. So these are, if you like, global agendas that, of course, the UN's policies, they then push out into nations and then they try to press nations into bringing out legislation uh, in accordance with the principles which they've decided. And, and this is a very detrimental trend when it comes to uh, democracy, because obviously the, the more you're concerned that what you might say is going to be seen as hate speech, well, the less likely you are to say it, because nobody really wants sanctions. And that's exactly what happens when you speak out of turn and when you say things out of turn. Yeah. And, and, and maybe just to add, add into that and just to show how this trend is increasing, the, the, this month, the UK Law Commission, which basically sets policy for UK legislation, has proposed criminalising hate speech in homes in England and Wales. What? So there is typically, yeah, there is typically something which they call the dwelling defence, in which you know whatever you say in your own house over the dinner table, perhaps in conversation with friends or what have you, it is effectively protected. You can say what you like in your own home, but they're now proposing the law which would actually abolish this and which would basically mean that comments made over a dinner table about a huge range of topics could lead to police intervention, and it could lead to a prison sentence. So we're just seeing more and more invasion, more and more erosion of what effectively amounts to free speech rights. That is difficult to get my head around and, and very, very scary. So, I mean, again, as Christians, we might say, well, what's the problem? You know, God tells us that we should love one another, that we should extend mercy and grace and so forth. But again, it comes to small little things like, for example, if a pastor were to say, if you don't confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then your eternal destination is hell. That could be construed as hate speech eventually, right? Well, not just eventually, but interestingly enough, in, in the, there's a case in Durban at the moment where a Hindu association is basically uh, taking a Christian ministry to the Equality Court, under which this definition is, and they're accusing them of hate speech basically because they said what, in their views, are derogatory things about their, their gods and exclusive claims to the uh, salvation of Christ yeah. um, and, and, and Christ alone. So this is actually happening in real time. Um, and and I, I think, but very importantly, I think in South Africa, there, there is a, a very, very significant judgment waiting uh, from the Constitutional Court in the case of Kualani, John Kualani against the Human Rights Commission, where he made derogatory remarks about um, LGBT um, people and practices. And no one supporting what he said was, you know, good and right and not at all. But what he's basically saying is that I, I, I did not advocate hatred and I did not incite violence. And therefore, the Equality Act clause, which I've mentioned, has sort of hurtful and harmful elements in it, is actually unconstitutional. Sure. And so the Constitutional Court will literally be ruling on whether, the, whether we should have a wider definition of hate speech, wider than the constitutional definition. Mm. And of course, what we are really sincerely hoping and what has been the trend in the lower courts, the um, Supreme Court of Appeal, for example, in Bloemfontein, uh, has actually limited 
it back to the constitutional definition. And we're hoping that the court will reinforce that and not be swayed by any other popular or political considerations. Um, because if they do, and it does go back to the constitutional narrow definition, number one, it's much, much more positive for democracy. It means that the things you say, unless they advocate hatred and incite violence, which obviously is wrong, um, are actually acceptable and protected under law. And that will also mean, by the way, that then Parliament would need to reconsider the wider definition that's already passed, um, particularly you know, in, in the Equality Act, in the uh, Film and Publications Act, the Cybercrimes, and very importantly, in the hate speech bill, which is mm. before Parliament, which has a very wide definition. It covers just about anything and everything. Uh, 17 categories are supposedly protected sure. in, 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 in that. So, um, you know, we, we uh, and, and also for the first time, that hate speech bill will include criminalizing hate speech. You'll get a three-year mm. jail sentence for a first offense and a 10-year jail sentence for a second or subsequent offense. Mm. And so we're certainly hoping that this decision by the Constitutional Court, this judgment when it comes out, will be very positive and will reinforce the constitutional limitations mm. on hate speech so that our democracy and particularly our ability to share our faith and the views of our faith will not be uh, hindered. Sure. Yeah. So important. That's where we're going to leave it for the morning. Michael Swain, thank you for your time. Appreciate chatting to you. Thank you, Jonathan. God bless.